Acts, the second chapter, beginning with verse 22. This is, will be our text for this morning. Acts, the second chapter, beginning with verse 22 through 27. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him. In your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. I'd like to place a tag on the text before us this morning, Jesus above all. Jesus above all. Let us pray. Lord, our Lord, how excellent is your name in all the earth. Father, we come before your throne of grace declaring Acknowledging your goodness, your mercy, your grace, your, your, your loving kindness, your benevolence, your, your mercy uh, on folks like us. Undeserving of mercy, but yet, Lord, you have held back that which we deserve and have given us grace in Jesus Christ. For, Father, you have not withheld anything from us for you have already given us your very best in Christ. So, Father, this morning we say thank you and we ask that you will have your way in this place. Father, we ask that you will make much of Jesus this morning. Father, please magnify the Savior. Lift the Savior up that we may see him for who he is. The risen and exalted Savior who was and is and is to come, who has no equal, there's no one like him. Father, make us love him this morning. Father, whatever issues of life may be a stumbling block to us right now from surrendering and submitting to your word, Father, I ask that you would take it away right now in the name of Jesus. Whatever distraction Satan has for us, take it away, Lord, right now. We ask that by the power of your spirit, you will open up our eyes that we may see Jesus clearly. Open up our ears that we may hear your word and dearly, Lord. And we ask that you will prepare our hearts to receive your word. 
with joy and great expectation. Father, may we make much of Christ today. Father, have mercy on me. May you speak to your servants, and may we listen. And may the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Oh, the gospel. You know, Paul talks about the gospel in his letter to the Corinthians, the, the first chapter, the, 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, verses 3 through 4. Paul takes a moment to remind the church of Corinth the gospel that he had already preached to them. And he, he says, for I delivered to you as of first importance that which I also received that Christ Jesus died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. See, this, this succinct gospel message has transformed the lives of people for over 2,000 years, this gospel message, that, that Jesus the Christ, he, he died for the sins of those who have repented and uh, from their sin and trusted in him alone by faith. However, this understanding that Jesus died for our sins is only a part of the gospel. That's half of the gospel message. Because a, a complete gospel message includes the fact that though Jesus died, he got up. This fact is so important that further along in that same 15th chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, and if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and, and your faith is in vain. And if Christ has not been raised, your, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. If Christ if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are, of all people, most to be pitied. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is saying, that if Christ did not get up from the grave, we are fools serving a dead Savior. We are to be pitied because we don't have it right. But blessed be the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He did. See, that's the other side of the coin, right? If, if on one side of the coin, Christ did not go uh, rise from the grave and there are consequences, then just as much if he did rise from the grave, there are implications and consequences because of his resurrection. We can't take that for granted. What if Christ did rise from the grave? Because Jesus died on the cross, you can be forgiven of your sins. But because Jesus rose from the grave, he will reign until he has put all of his enemies under his feet. See, the fact that there is a resurrection testifies to the fact that Jesus is supreme now. When he got up, and, and as we say, he, he, he rose with all power. That all power means he is Lord over every aspect of the universe. Because he got up. See, the complete gospel says Jesus rescues and Jesus rules. Author Greg Gilbert, in his book, Who is Jesus? He, he puts it this way. If Jesus did rise from the dead, then every human being is confronted with a demand to believe what he said, to acknowledge him as king, and to submit to him as savior and lord. This wrapped up in the gospel. What the gospel is, it's all about the centrality of Jesus Christ. He is the center of the gospel. He is the glue that keeps it all together. He is the main one in whom we celebrate this resurrection day. See, but, 
also in the gospel, you can't, you can't subtract this part out of the gospel. There's the centrality of Jesus, but then there's also the supremacy of Jesus. If Jesus is central to the gospel, that means everything is about him. And if everything is about him, that means he's Lord over everything and he is supreme. That's a complete gospel. Jesus is not only the one who died for my sins, but he is the one that commands and rules my life. So my question for you this morning is, though you may be worshiping a a Jesus who forgives sin, uh, uh, is the Jesus you worship supreme? Is the Jesus that you are serving just the Jesus who forgives you for all your mess? Or is he a Jesus that is Lord over all your mess? Is, is this a Jesus that, that you come to just, just because you, 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 you want to feel better about yourself? Or is this a Jesus that you look to for direction and for guidance for every aspect of your life? That's the supremacy of Christ. Well, what, 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 what do you mean, Pastor? Our culture has went to great lengths to domesticate the Jesus of the Bible. See, for, for, for much of America, Jesus is nothing more than a manservant who shows up to give us what we want and to help us when we're in trouble. This domesticated Jesus is a, a gentle Jesus who is all love and he has no demands over your life. This this Americanized Jesus, he he doesn't expect you to be different. This American Jesus, uh, he really doesn't want you to fight against sin. This this Jesus as a figment of our imagination, he doesn't want you to pursue holiness. What? Holiness? God knows my heart. This This Jesus, he doesn't actually want you to share with those who are closest to you the good news about what God has done through him. Beloved, this this American Jesus is not the Jesus of the Bible. Because the Jesus of the Bible is Lord. He reigns, he rules. Though Jesus delivers, Jesus has demands. Though Jesus forgives, he expects fellowship. Though Jesus saves, he wants surrender. See, the same Jesus that forgives you of your sin, he forgives you of your sin so you can walk in the newness of life and proclaim his glories to creation. That's why he saved you. That's why the text says he he rescued you out of darkness and brought you to the marvelous light. Why? So that you will let your light so shine before men, so that they will see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. It's not about you. Jesus is saving a people for himself in order that he may be glorified above all things. This, this is what Peter's going on about in this sermon. The, the, resurrection, the resurrected Jesus is above all and worthy of our worship. This morning and forevermore. So because Jesus is above all, I call you this morning to humbly surrender all of your life to his rule in worship. This text before us this morning is Peter's first sermon after the death of Jesus. The sermon is taking place in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost is a festival celebrated by the Jews celebrating the end of the harvest, the end of the grain harvest, and it it takes place 50 days after the Passover. So from this point, we know Jesus was with the disciples 40 days, so 10 days prior, Jesus had came to his disciples and said, I will give you the Holy Spirit, and and when the Holy Spirit comes, you will go out and proclaim uh, my name in all the world. I will give you power through the Holy Spirit. From there in the text, we, saw, we see that the disciples are held up in a room praying, tearing for a moment, and the Holy Spirit comes, just as Jesus has promised. 
filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, God begins to reverse the curse of Babel. You remember Babel, Tower of Babel? Man building, constructing a, a, a huge edifice to honor and glorify themselves. And Jesus looks down and says, what are they doing? This is not about them. This is about me. So he confuses their languages, right? So what happens is, well, uh, as God confused their language through the Holy Spirit, the disciples now begin speaking in different tongues, and all of the, 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 the Jewish uh, religious folks who are from different nations are trying to figure out, how do these Gentiles know my language? What is Jesus, what is, uh, what is Jesus doing? He is reversing the curse of Babel by now stepping over any obstacle to the proclamation and the hearing of his word. So people began to hear the good news about Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost. But some people believe that these men are crazy, they're drunk. What is going on? What's all the ruckus about? And then Peter takes a moment and he explains, no, 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 let me tell you what's going on. Because Jesus is who he says he is. Because Jesus got up. He has sent us his spirit to give us power. And what you see is confirmation that God is pleased with what he has already done. This is the context of what Peter is talking about. And he begins to preach the gospel. This is a complete gospel about a crucified Christ, but a resurrected Lord. This is a gospel that reveals Jesus is Central to all, Jesus is supreme over all because Jesus is above all. Look here, beginning with verse, verses 22 through 32, Peter, he preaches this perfect gospel with such theological acumen and precision and richness and depth. In just three verses, 22, 23, and 24, Peter he preaches the incarnation, the crucifixion, and the resurrection. He is saying the life, the death, and resurrection of Jesus is the central message to the gospel. Verse 22, Peter explains that Jesus is central because he lived a life we could not live. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst as you yourselves know. Peter is focusing on Jesus' humanity, Jesus of Nazareth. This is a man who came out of Nazareth. He's a man like you, and he's a man like me. However, there's something different about this man. He lived a life that we could not live. He was sinless. He was perfect. He was, he was the one who performed all kinds of miracles, signs, and wonders as a verification and a sign that he had yielded himself completely to the Holy Spirit. Something that you guys aren't able to do. He lived the life that we could not live. Jesus uh, yielded to the Spirit. He gave sight to the blind. Hearing to the deaf. He cast out demons. He had control over the weather. Jesus, he, he, he looked at the water and made the water as bricks as he stepped on top of it and walked across the sea. Jesus had full and total control. Though he was a man, he wasn't like man in that he was perfect. Both God and man unified in one body. Peter wants us to see. Jesus is central in the gospel, because though he was a man just like us, he fully submitted himself to the Spirit of God and was able to accomplish God's purposes through him yielding. And what does Jesus say? Jesus says that when I leave, I will send the Spirit back to you, and you will do more marvelous and wonderful things. So Jesus is centered because he lived a life we could not live, but also Jesus is sinner because he died the death that we deserve. Verse 23. I, I, I like Peter. He does this a number of times in the text. This Jesus. Don't get it twisted. This Jesus. Not, not that Jesus. Not, not those Jesus over here. This Jesus that 
that got up from the grave, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Jesus is central because he died the death that we deserve. What, what, what is Peter saying? P- Peter, it, it, he, is, he is showing this tension between divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Look, look, look at this tension in the text. He says that Jesus was delivered up. He went to the cross, but God wasn't surprised. He, he wasn't caught off guard because this was part of his plan since uh, uh, eternity passed. He, he knew that you needed a savior. He knew you couldn't live this life for yourself. He said, I will send someone who will die for you. I will send someone who will pay the price. I will send someone who's able to bear this wrath. So this, this divine plan that God had put into motion from eternity past, before the foundation of the world, he desired a people who would be holy and blameless before him, right? So, but then in that same sentence, he goes on and says, you crucified him, though, and killed by the hands of lawless men. So right at the feet of these Jewish religious folks, he's saying, though this is God's plan, you're still responsible for all of your actions. You're responsible for blaspheming Jesus. You're responsible for beating Jesus. You're responsible for placing the crown of thorns on his head. You, you're responsible for rejecting Jesus and the message of the gospel. It's, this is, this, you are guilty. And the responsibility is laid right at your feet. But Peter wants us to remember that Jesus is central because he died the death that we deserve. In showing that they are guilty, he's reminding them and showing us that the reason that there was a crucifixion in the first place is because it's jacked up, messed up people like ourselves who, who can't get to God, who need someone to die on our behalf. You a sinner. I'm a sinner. Only by God's mercy and grace do you even breathe today. See, I said breathe. I didn't say how he saved you. The fact that you're breathing today is, is a testament to God's mercy and his grace. Because had you woke up without Jesus, you would spend an eternity without Jesus in hell. Because God gives you what you want. And if you don't want Jesus in this life, he said, well, you can't have him in the next. And, and the crucifixion shows us that we are sinners desperately in need of a Savior. Then ain't none of y'all. Didn't, I, I did not pull myself up by my own bootstraps. We can't walk up in here like we got it all together for real. For real. Because you got a degree, a PhD, you got a job, you think you all that. The, it wasn't a poll says, uh, what do you have that has not been given to you in the first place? We can come into church week after week after week, playing a church game, doing the same thing over and over, being religious because it's the right thing to do, and miss why we need a crucified Christ. We need him because we're sinners. We're separate. We're separated from the goodness of God. God in his holiness and his perfection, in him there is light. There is no darkness in him. God cannot fool around with mess. He can't bring darkness. So, so why must we uh, sinners need Jesus Christ to cover us? Because if we brought our mess to God, it would mess up the whole game. Jesus is central because he lived a life that we could not live. Then also because he died to death that we deserve. But within the gospel message, Jesus is central because he rose from the grave, conquering death. Verse 24, verses 24 through 32, Peter walks us through the crucifixion, and he, get, he gives us an explanation of the resurrection. I just read verse 24, for now God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. When we look at this text, we say, okay, well, Jesus got up from the grave, but the text says it was not possible for death 
to hold him. He, he got up because death couldn't get a grip on him. When we think about Jesus and his sinless sacrifice, we, we must remember that the reason that death can hold on to us is because we got sticky sin all on us. And just like a mountain climber climbs the mountain, he, he has a place where he could get a foothold. See, in, in your life and my life, there's a bunch of sin. There's a lot of footholds where death can hold on to you. See, when you try to wrestle away, death just get a better grip and it gets a better hold. He digs down into that, that, that secret sin that you got and he holds on to you so that, so that he knows that he can, he can intimidate you, he can punk you because it's always over your head. See, but when Jesus went to the grave, he didn't have anything sticking to him. Like Teflon. You know what Teflon is? That material you, you, you put water on it, just slide off. You can't stick to you know, you know how it works? Some of those people, those Teflon people, you try to give them work, they slide right off. They ain't doing no work. They ain't, you ain't putting that on me. Nope, I ain't got it. But you know what? In a good way. Jesus like Teflon. Those sin tempted him in every way that we were tempted. Hebrews tells us, yet he lived with, without sin. And, and not only in what he did, but can you believe that Jesus was sinless in what he thought? Hello, somebody. If, 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 we, took, if we had a brand new invention, yeah, it's coming one day. Someday we'll have an invention. We're going to put a device on your head. We're going to bring down the screen. And we're just going to beam up what you're thinking right there. Bam. Oh, Lord. What would show up? If that was put on your head, I wouldn't want that on my head. But can you imagine a picture of perfect serenity, a picture of perfect submission, a picture of perfect love, perfect devotion, perfect dedication, perfect honor, perfect respect. There's no sense of rebellion. There's, there's no ill will in him. When the screen come up, it's like doves just flying by, just doves. Because Jesus was sinless in thought and deed. So when the resurrection, uh, when death tries to hold him, he has nothing to hold on to, so Jesus gets up. He gets up, he's the sinless sacrifice. Death can't hold him. And because he conquered death, those in Christ conquered death. Because the blood of Jesus washes away all this sin. All that filth, all that stickiness that, that death can hold on to, and it can't hold us anymore. That's the central message of the gospel. Jesus at the center. This definite plan of God. Peter is talking about a life that's completely consumed by Jesus. Completely in love with Jesus. When I think about the centrality of Jesus, I, I'm tempted to think about those new Google cardboard glasses. Have y'all seen those glasses? They're, they're pieces of cardboard and it has some reflective material, and it has a, spot, a slot for your phone. And what you do, you fold it up, and they become almost like goggles. But you put your phone in it, and then you, you put them on your face, and then everywhere, then, then you can say, okay, I want to be in Tahiti. You type Tahiti, and then you look at these goggles, and then you will see like a tree and ocean right there. But what's so sweet about them, as you turn your head, you know, you get a new picture. You see the the palm trees and the sand over here, and as you turn your head this way, you, you see the, uh, the, the sand and the, the mist, but, and as you look up, you see the sun. So everywhere you turn, you, you get this perspective of Tahiti. And so everywhere you look, whether you look up or whether you look down, whether you look left or whether you look right, you, you get a view, a perspective of the place that you typed in. Beloved, when I, when I think about the centrality of Jesus, I think about the fact that when Jesus is the center of my life, I, it doesn't matter if I look up or if I look down. 
if I look left, if I look right, if I turn myself around, all that I see is Jesus Christ crucified, my Savior, my Lord, who I am in desperate need of. Because he's the center of my life. He overshadows everything. Jesus is central because he lived the life we could not live. He died the death that we deserve and because he rose from the grave. The centrality of Jesus in the gospel means he has every right to be the center of your world. Who's, who's at the center of your world? Who do you wake up thinking about? Yeah. Who do you wake up thinking about? Who's on your mind all the time? Whose text you let wake you out of sleep at three in the morning? That's the center of your world. Jesus says, I don't want anything or anyone else to be the center of your world. And the reason why we know that is because he came and gave everything. He didn't, he, he, didn't, he didn't pay money for you. He, he didn't buy a new, brand new car for you. He didn't give you a, a, a week's vacation on the cruise for you. He gave his very life for you. And, and, and we're in here and we're talking about this blood and how good this blood is. This, this shed blood is, is worth trillions and billions more than we could ever imagine. He gave his very best. That's why we serve him. And this is crazy, right? Because Peter is just giving that almost like as an introduction. <laughs> Jesus, he's the center. The centrality of Christ teaches us that Jesus should be the center of our world. See, but it's the supremacy of Christ that teaches us that Jesus is the center of the world. You get the difference. The centrality of Jesus means he should be the center of our world, but the supremacy, the exalted Jesus, uh, it teaches us that he is the center of the world. There's a difference. This is the part of the gospel that we must get. This is the resurrected Christ. In verses 34 through 37, Peter explains this as he says, 33 through 37, he says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel know, therefore, therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In the text here, the symbolic use of the right hand of God, this anthropomorphism, the taking of of God and giving him like human appendages in order that we may know because we know God is spirit. So he doesn't necessarily have a right hand, but whenever the Bible talks about the right hand, that's the position of authority. That's the position of power. That's the position of, 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 of holiness there. It's exalted. So when Peter is telling us that, therefore, exalted, that, that Jesus has been exalted, he has been placed on high, and the result of this being that he is now Lord and Christ. Lord, ruler, sustainer, all authority, king, Christ, anointed one, Messiah, redeemer. So Jesus has been exalted into this position of ruler and redeemer. This is what the purpose 
of Resurrection Sunday is, is to remember that in the resurrection, we see God validating the life and message of Jesus. In the resurrection, God says, I approve this message. Jesus comes on the scene and he says, repent and believe in the gospel. Uh, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Turn from yourself. Turn from living and doing your own thing. Turn from being your own boss, being being your own supervisor, saying what you want the folks, doing what you want the folks. You're going to turn from that, recognize that God hates that selfish behavior, and you're going to turn towards Jesus through faith. Father, forgive me for living for myself. I believe Jesus died for my sins. I can be made whole, and I will trust in him for eternity. God validates that message through the resurrection. So we see the validation of Jesus in the resurrection, but also in the resurrection, we see God's vindication of Jesus' righteousness. Well, what does that mean? Think about it. Modern politics ain't got nothing on the Pharisees. Think about the Pharisees. They they came up with the modern smear campaign. Beloved, the religious authorities of the day, those in opposition to Jesus, they, they attempted to discredit, diminish, and damage the reputation of Jesus. They brought brought him up on phony charges. They paraded him around from court to court with an illegal trial taking place. They they beat him and abused him like he was a common criminal. They hung him high between two thieves as if saying he is a criminal not worthy of your affections himself. They mocked his power. Well, well, why don't your angels come and save you now? They did everything that they could to say Jesus was a phony. Jesus was a sham. But, but what they weren't remembering and thinking about was that, beloved, though the religious authorities of that day may have said no to Jesus, what we have in the resurrection is a resounding yes to, by God in the resurrection. Though they rejected Jesus, God vindicates him by raising him from the dead. Your charges can't stick to me. In the resurrection, Jesus both receives validation and vindication. Because of God's validation, because of God's vindication of Jesus, Jesus is Exalted. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 tells us, therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, see, that's not to the glory of the people he saved. That's to the glory of the supreme king of the universe, God the Father, who has willed this plan from creation past to rescue to himself a people for his own pleasure. That God. Hebrews 1, 3 through 4, tells us that Jesus, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And and listen to this, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to the angels as to the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. This Jesus, he's exalted spoke about the political campaigns. And certainly, I'm sure, I'm sure you love all the commercials. I'm sure you love being in the presidential races. I'm, I'm sure you love being inundated with all this news and all that's going on. 
I'm being facetious, right? But, but the political campaign reminds us of something. It reminds us that we are in a quote-unquote democratic republic where everyone is supposed to have a voice in the vote, right? This, this democratic republic is, is supposed to be put into place so everyone can vote for their candidate to be set in office. But beloved, when it comes to the exaltation of Jesus, wasn't no vote taken. Wasn't nobody asked about who their candidate was. Wasn't no surveys, no phone calls, no polling done. It, was, it wasn't as if someone came to your house and knocked on the door and said, what choice of Lord and Master do you have? It, it wasn't up to us. It wasn't democratic in nature because God himself said, I will raise him up and I will exalt him above all names. So when we come into the house of God and we say, well, this is the Jesus I want and, and this is the Jesus I want, God says, who cares what you want? This is not a democracy. This is a theocracy, and I run the show. And Jesus is exalted because he has been obedient, even upon death of the cross. Jesus is supreme overall because he, ha he has been exalted and installed into the position of Lord and Christ. Well, what does this mean for us? This, this means the lordship of Christ is... He has unconditional claim of the whole universe. Have, have you ever thought about that? When the text of scripture, what Paul says, Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being. When you think about Jesus, finite creatures, we think about Jesus, he, he like sitting up on the clouds, he kind of looking down and kind of making sure we got what we need. When Paul says in him, he's saying that we exist in time. Jesus exists outside of time. He's in a whole nother dimension. And, and, and because he's in a whole nother dimension, he's not, he's not constrained by time and dates. And, and not only is time in another dimension, but uh, he doesn't just hold uh, our lives in his hand. It's like he's, it's, it's in him. It's, it's being birthed out of him because Jesus, he's not constrained to what we constrain. So when Paul says in him we live, we are living in Christ. He is so supreme. He is so glorious that we exist inside of him as he is shaping and forming, conforming people to his will. In him. We live and move and have our being. This is all about it. He is supreme. There is a cosmic lordship. Every star, every molecule, the universe bows at its will. There's a national lordship. Though, though we may buck against the system, though America may, may jeer against God, the text says he is coming back to rule and to reign. There's a communal lordship that he's the king of Israel, but also he's the head of the church. Hello, somebody. You mean Jesus runs the church and I don't? That's right. You don't run this church. You don't, you don't make things happen in this church. You don't, you, you don't say what will or what won't because the spirit of God comes and he moves in the people's hearts, and he causes a chain reaction to take place that this is my will, my bride, my church, and this is how we will operate. That's lordship. He's morally lord. Jesus dictates what you do and can't do. I can't choose to do what I want to do because I always have a proclivity to destroy my own life. And Jesus will rescue you from that. There's not a square inch in all of creation that Jesus cannot say, this is mine. Mine. The supremacy of Christ. What does this mean for us? Should Jesus not be Lord of our lives? 
One of the scriptures I've just been meditating on lately that's really been a blessing is uh, Romans eleven thirty six. For from him and to him and through him are all things to the glory of the Father. What does that mean? That means uh, from, from Jesus comes my job. From Jesus comes my help. Come, from Jesus comes my home. Uh, to Jesus, my job should exist. To Jesus, my home should exist. To Jesus, my, my, my marriage should exist. It's to him. It's for his glory and through him. I keep my job through the power of Jesus. I keep my home through the power of Jesus. I keep my marriage through the power of Jesus. I, I can defeat sin through the power of Jesus and not my own because from him and to him and through him are all things. For those who have been united with Christ, God's validation and vindication of Jesus is extended to us. It's extended to us because sin was on a smear campaign against us. Sin wanted to hold us down, wanted to make us not look as attractive as, as Jesus wanted us to be. Sin wanted to bring up trumped up charges on our behalf. Sin wanted to keep us beaten and battered. But yet Jesus, because he was validated and vindicated through the resurrection, so are those whose life is united with Jesus. We're free from the bondage of sin for those who are in Christ. The supremacy of Jesus means he has every right to take you to the center of his work. His work. Simple math equation in the text. Tragedy plus triumph equals the resurrection. Though Jesus died, he now lives with all power in his hand. That leads verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You know, I believe that salvation comes to a person when they realize the supremacy of Jesus and the lowliness of their sin. The confession of sin doesn't take place until you are overwhelmed with how filthy and dirty you are in the sight of God. See, we, we can do a horizontal check when we look at brother so-and-so and sister so-and-so, we, yeah, we saw them coming out the store with that brown paper bag the other day. So I can say, I uh, said, so my lottery ticket ain't that bad. We can do a horizontal comparison and contrast. But when we look up to Jesus on high, we see a deficiency of righteousness, a deficiency of goodness, a deficiency of glory. And we're broken. That's what they're, they're broken. They, they see a Jesus who is above all. What must we do? They see the vileness of their sin. And Peter says, repent. Simply repent. You don't have to go to church a hundred times. You don't have to do a whole bunch of good deeds. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. He says, just repent. Confess. Admit that you're wrong and that you need a Savior. That is Jesus' call to you today, whoever you are. You may have been running from Jesus. You may have been in all kind of despicable mess. You may be in the midst of sin right now. Jesus says it doesn't matter where you are. All that matters is where I will take you and where you will be. And those who have a life that is hidden in me, they will be united with me, so their life will be central with me, and they will reign supreme with me. For those who are united with Christ, we have a resurrection from the dead. And because Ephesians 2 tells us, and you were dead in your trespasses and sin. See, but when the Holy Spirit comes and Jesus reaches down for people, a people that he was purchasing for his own pleasure before time even began, he says, I want you. I want you. 
And Jesus is calling you today. He just says, repent. I will clean you up. I will wash away all of your sins. You need only trust in me. Beloved, let's do some more math. If Jesus paid it all, then Jesus owns it all. If I'm, if I'm going to shout, Jesus paid it all in regards to my sin, then he must have bought something. He purchased sinners such as us for himself. Praise be the Jesus who is above all. For all things are from him and to him and through him. Because Jesus is above all. Humbly surrender all of your life to his rule and worship. It's the Jesus you worship supreme. Because the resurrected Jesus is above all. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for the blood of Jesus. That though our sins were as scarlet, you will make us white as snow. Though we were once far off, you brought those who were far off near through the blood of Christ. And Father, you not only forgive us for our sins, but you rule and you reign supreme, giving us power to overcome temptation that we may be your righteous light in this world. Father, we ask that your spirit will come Show us our sin in relation to your supremacy. Please convict us. Show us how much we need you today. Father, may we leave this place today forever changed because we have repented of our sins, trusted in you for salvation, and had our sins forgiven. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen.